Welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast, a regular podcast from NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 and a retiree. Uh, we just want to let you know that the, we try to make this weekly. We don't make it every week, but we try our best to give you updates on what's happening. And uh, with our chapter president for Chapter 49, Duncan Giles, I must say, Duncan, one thing we have not had to do is, is stretch or search for a subject. This week we are loaded. Uh, yeah, there's never there's never a shortage of fun topics, is there, Larry? Well, fun is a different word, <laughs> but we <laughs> but we do have topics. I want to just start off with the uh, the one where I was thinking that depending on how things went, uh, I mean, I'm a retiree, so it doesn't affect me, but I might have had to record this. Uh, we usually do record this. Uh, we we're not in the same room. We do this through technology, but. Uh, you're at your office in downtown Indianapolis right now. I thought I was going to have to do this uh, with me at home and you at your home. We weren't absolutely sure if a continuing resolution was going to get done. It was signed into law just under the wire. No, uh, Actually, just after the wire. From what I hear, it was after midnight, but not enough to impact really uh, any organizations, including the IRS. Yes, I, I do remember, and this is just an aside, which I thought was funny. This was back in the 1980s. Uh, there, was, uh, there was one, there was this one senator in New York State who was upset about a military base being closed. And this is before they uh, made some exceptions to the Senate rules. The rules were still, uh, any senator could hold anything up. And uh, nobody expected this. He just got up and started talking and said he wasn't going to stop talking until this money was reinstated for this military base and the whole government shut down when nobody expected it in the middle of the day. <laughs> and the uh, Senate finally changed the rules around a bill like that. You can't filibuster anymore. Uh, but it was because of that specific man who did that. And, and I was, uh, as the funny part was, I, I was... Uh, doing a detail that day in the media relations department and the media relations manager was gone, had on scheduled to be on leave. Basically I was unable to contact that person and I was the only person there. And here I was fielding all these questions in the media. I thought, Oh, this is interesting. I'm not paid enough for this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The, the uh, fun part is, you know, this was something that passed widespread bipartisan support in the house passed the Senate something like 82 to 10, somewhere around there. And it still was right, you know, right after midnight when this was actually signed. So even when everything's agreed to and going to go smoothly, uh, it's, it's still down to the wire, which is nerve wracking for just about everybody. You'd, and But you didn't see hardly any coverage on it in the media because of so much other stuff going on. Well, and also they had been assured by the congressional leaders. I thought those reporters worked. They were assured by the congressional leaders of both parties that there was no problem with it. But there was no problem in the 1980s when that senator decided to get up and speak all day. So, I mean, even though the rules have changed, there are other ways this could happen. So you and I have been around too long. We just know how things can fall apart at the last minute. Excuse me, at the last minute. They didn't this time. We're lucky. Everybody is, in fact, working today. We're recording and this, and the, we're also dropping this, uh, posting this uh, 
on October 1st, the first day of the fiscal year. So even though we don't have a, a, a budget in place for the whole year, we do have the continuing resolution, which provides last year's budget for the interim. Well, the other interesting part of this is that it goes through December 11th. And what's going to happen, you know, are they going to agree to fund all these government agencies for the rest of the year by December 11th and pass it with everything that's going on? If not, how is this going to work? It, it's going to be quite interesting bumping up against that time frame as well. Well, we hope the election will be over by then. We hope. Uh, we'll talk more about elections in a moment. But uh, anyway, we are working. The continuing resolution is here. Uh, Duncan, you and I have been watching this very carefully. We were always just a little bit nervous. Uh, something might go wrong at the end. But I think with an election coming up and, and with uh, Congress being busy with so many other subjects that um, they didn't want to argue about this for now anyway. Speaking of arguments, let's talk, <laughs> ab let's talk about awards. You and, I have talked, uh, you and I have talked about this many times. <coughs> the bottom line on awards, just so for people who maybe have, uh, have slept a few times since you and I have talked about this, that the awards contract uh, was changed by the management. NTEU challenged that change. We didn't feel they were negotiating in good faith. Uh, NTEU went to the legal mat for the members of this union, the people in our bargaining unit, and NTEU worked very hard, went to every appeal available to it. But in this case, and that happens sometimes, the management prevailed. And what the management was able to do is reduce the number of people who will receive an award. Now, here's the problem. And you and I have talked about this, but I want to reiterate so everybody remembers this, that and NTU was a concerned about this because before our the awards program was had some either geographical and or uh, you know uh, uh, your work related what kind of job you have and where you are in the country impacted uh, your awards pool it wasn't one national pool well IRS I guess it was just too hard for them to figure this out they they said well we need a national program it's too much work it's just too hard to do all these different pools so we just want one pool. The problem with that is uh, IRS, as NTU has found out in many, many uh, uh, information requests and, and data dumps we've received from the service after the service has been forced to do that, that people are not evaluated evenly throughout the country. Now, that's why we were concerned. That's why NTEU fought hard. We lost that fight. We're not going to give up on it. We lost in this round of contract negotiations. Then we get a new piece of news, just what was it, a day or two ago, which puts a little different um, spin on it. It's still the same problem. I would like you to explain to all these people listening to us right now what has happened on the awards front in the last couple of days. Yeah, the awards have to be the floor on the awards is 1% of all the salaries of the people in a particular pool. But it can go up from there. And the IRS apparently found some money, and I'll get to that in a second, where now they're saying, okay, it's going to be 2%. So awards are going to basically be you know, doubled in funding for total for those fewer people who are gonna get it because of the fact that now, as you mentioned, We've taken away the geographic 
constraint. So it's going to be, you know, revenue agents from New York, Indianapolis, and Los Angeles are all going to be in the same pool from SBSE. Um, you know, and, and because of the fact that people are, as we believe, judged differently in different parts of the country, we don't believe that that's going to be fair. Now, the reason, and just being the natural loving cynic that I am, is that I believe that it went up to 2%, to be honest, is if they raise it for non-bargaining unit employees, they've got to raise it the same amount for bargaining unit employees. So non-bargaining unit employees are going to be getting a larger increase as well, that 2% as well. So I, you know, people are like, wow, management did this out of the goodness of their heart. I, I, I think that may be a byproduct and I'm very happy they did it. And I hope I'm wrong, but a cynic in me says, well, you know, there's another part of this, and that may be what the driving force is behind that. Yeah, I want to get back to something you said. I want to get back to that, too. But let's go back to something else you mentioned. It didn't become clear to me until I was working in the service. I think this was the 1980s, maybe early 90s, when I got to know some revenue agents who transferred from the East Coast to Indiana, Indianapolis in particular, and they just complained up and down about the way they were being evaluated. Like it was, they were being unfairly evaluated and they were getting way more negative feedback. And I just thought to myself, to, and it wasn't just one person, it was several people. So what that told me is what I was mentioning earlier and what you've touched upon. It's pretty clear to me, just based on that anecdotal evidence, which was pretty convincing for me, that people are not evaluated the same way around the country. So I think I would echo what you said. You know, God bless the people who are going to get awards this year. You're going to get more money. We're glad that's the case. Uh, your cynicism is well accepted and taken, but uh, it will mean more money for a number of our people, and we are glad. But here's the point I want to make. If you are upset because you are used to getting an award and you do not get one now and you're hearing from your colleagues who do get an award and are getting a lot more money and you're not happy, neither are we. Neither is NTEU as an institution. You need to let your management know all the way up the chain how you feel about that uh, because NTEU will continue to fight for you in future uh, contracts over awards on this. So I, I do believe that uh, this will set the stage for future negotiations and future actions that are taken because any arbitrator or court or whoever's looking at this in the future, any, any impartial uh, party, when the, when, when the evidence is laid out you know, as to what actually has happened, I think it's going to be pretty clear what the result of this was. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, and National NTU has done a very good job on whether it's something like quality step increases, which we're still looking at, um, or something like the awards. Is this being done correctly? Is this being done fairly and equitably? And we all have the feeling that it's going to turn out not to be the case just because of human nature. The, the EQ system was set up to be objective, and I was there when this thing was born and they started spreading it out to all the different business units and I voiced my opinion 
to management at that time at the bargaining tables saying, this is not going to be the panacea you think it is. A lot of these professions, there's a lot of gray area, a lot of um, art as well as the science, so to speak. So depending upon you know how your manager takes a look at your work, it's going to impact it. And I am a firm believer at this point that the statistics will show that if you're not at an outstanding level, your chance of getting an award, if you're not at a 4.6 outstanding level, is going to be very slim. And it should be noted, we don't have that yet, but you are very confident it's going to take something in that range, that pretty close to that range to receive an award, which for many people will be a very, very difficult thing to, to deal with. Exactly. And people will go, well, you know, they're just downgrading me because of the fact that that way they don't have to pay the award. The award funds are set. It doesn't matter how many people get awards. If only one person in the country got an award, they get all that, that 2% of the pool's money. So that doesn't have an impact on it. They're, well, they want less people to get awards. That doesn't have the impact. It's the fact that we've got this wide range in how uh, people will look, management will look at different employees and how they rate them and how they take a look at their work as to how people will get an award or not. And let's say that going from 1% to 2%, People may not think that's a big number. That is a very big number. Yeah, that's a 100% increase. That's a huge number, especially when you tack on the fact that um, that there are less people probably going to be getting it. Now, the pools will probably be smaller just because we don't have as many people as we used to. It's 1% of the pool number. So if you, don't, if you have less people, you're going to have less amount, but that's that's still going to be a pretty staggering uh, number. And it's, it's, a, it's a good point you made. Uh, the, the management does not save money by doing this. The pool is what it is, and uh, it's just how do you divide it up? That's the real question here, and will it be divided up among fewer people? If you double the size of, of – of, depending on how you, how you want to run the numbers, but you're essentially going from 1% to 2%. As you said, that's a 100% increase. Uh, that's going to be a nice increase for the people receiving awards and the people not receiving it are going to have issues. So let's look at the timeline. When uh, when will people be notified? And I assume you'll be notified as well uh, as to who will be getting awards and will not. Uh, well, the last several years, National NGU has been uh, notified about 15 minutes before employees. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's that's not, not the way. That yet, that's not the way it used to be. I'll tell you, that, that is a difference. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's actually it, NTU does get a little bit of notice, so they're able to send out information to the chapters, but it's not going to be uh, much before employees are notified. And when I do you would say maybe a few days at best. So when do you think that will be? Do you have a feel for that? It is sometime before they're supposed to do it by the end of the fiscal year, but they have the ability to go to the calendar year. The last several years, they've been going to the end of the calendar year, which, of course, would be December 31st. Oh, so we're not going to find out for a while, possibly. It, yeah, it usually occurs uh, sometime in the first week or two of December is, would be my educated guess as to what we're looking at now. 
Okay, so again, with questions, send them to Duncan. If you're upset, just be aware of the fact. NT, you did everything we could to keep uh, this this pool change from happening. So uh, we'll continue to update you, and if it's not to the end of the year, maybe a few months before you find out. I suppose the management can decide to announce this any time between now and the end of the year, so we'll just have to sit and wait, right? Exactly. All right, uh, let's move on to something else. We've talked about the Hatch Act. We've had an entire extra podcast about the Hatch Act. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But I think, it, <clears throat> excuse me, we're recording this on October 1st, just a few days after the first presidential candidate debate. And it's just natural when something like that happens that provokes so much discussion that there'll be water cooler talk and discussion amongst employees. But, Duncan, people do have to be careful. Explain that whole situation to us. Yeah, especially when it was something as fired up and, you know, these everybody is getting pretty fired up now for elections, and that's great. I You know, I love the passion, but it's got to stay out of the workplace. It has to be strictly, you know, you can advocate for the candidate you want, the party you want, things of that nature, on your social media, to your friends, even to your coworkers, as long as you do it away from work, not on government time, not on government equipment. It's extremely important that you do not advocate for any candidate or any party, anything like that, on government time, on government property. We just, I just want to make sure everybody's aware and just be very careful. It's very easily done to start getting into a discussion on that, and you just that's something you really want to avoid right now. And if you want to hear that, a podcast that Duncan and I had with the uh, IRS, or not IRS, the NTU attorney out of Chicago, Thomas Coates. You can hear that. Uh, you, uh, Duncan can send you a link if you can't find it. It's also on our Facebook page. If you scroll down on that, uh, NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. That's how you find our, our Facebook, uh, Facebook feed. Uh, if you want to just check uh, in other places, um, it's part of my se- several series of podcasts that I produce called Podcasts by Larry Lannon, last name spelled L-A-N-N-A-N. You just search for that. Uh, I'm on just about every platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, I'm on it, iTunes. So you can always find them there And you, if you want to look. And just they'll all be labeled Chapter 49 Podcasts, except uh, maybe the first couple we were trying to sort this out. But you can always find the Chapter 49 podcast in a variety of ways. And if you're wanting to, uh, to get a link to that Thomas Coates uh, one about the, the Hatch Act, please, you know, let uh, Dunk, if you're having trouble finding it, Duncan can send you a link uh, pretty quickly on that. So, uh, again, we are in the heat of the presidential election year. There are also local elections and other elections. We have a governor's race in Indiana. It's like you said. It's okay to be passionate, but just do it on your own time, your own equipment. Uh, don't use any government equipment or software of any kind uh, uh, to talk about politics. Any last uh, notes on that? Nope. It's just better to be safe than sorry. That's what we're looking at. And speaking of voting, one thing about Indiana, and I, I'm, I've lived in Indiana just about all my life, and one thing I've always known about Indiana is. And I think this is a general statement. Some may take issue with it, but I'm saying this as a longtime resident and knowing people in other states. Indiana does not always make it 
easy for people to vote. What I mean by that is that we on election day, the polls are open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you look at the contract and actually the federal regulations, it's based on that, uh, our contract provision that uh, in order to get administrative time to vote on election day, uh, the uh, polls can only be open certain hours. I'm not going to get into all the, the, the nitpicking uh, details of that. But basically in Indiana, if you vote on election day, you can request an hour of administrative leave and get it just based on the fact that our polls aren't open that long. In a lot of states, you don't get it because the polls are open a lot longer. Of course, we Depending def- upon when your tour of duty starts. If your well, tour of duty I, yeah. starts at 9, and, and the cons- gonna- and if you That's if you have a basic tour of duty. If you have a different right. tour of duty... If it starts at nine, that's a whole different situation. But if it's eight to four forty-five or something in that, within a few minutes of that, yes. But it, and I was about to say that. And thank you for making sure we got that covered. There are different uh, people with different kinds of, uh, of schedules for their work, and that might not apply to you if that is the case. If you start work at eight, it probably is okay. If not, you want to check into it, and Duncan can always help you. It is a little bit difficult to get into the weeds of this. But the one thing that I think people need to know is that now you in Indiana, if you qualify for an absentee ballot, you can fill that in and, and mail it in. Uh, early voting will begin. The By the way, the register, in case you're listening to this before the date, the registration deadline in Indiana is October 5th. After October 5th, you're not registered. You cannot vote in Indiana. So October 6th begins early voting. And uh, you can early vote, nothing wrong with that. But, Duncan, you need to understand there's no administrative time for early voting. Exactly. I've already gotten questions on this. And as you said, the deadline for registering to vote is coming up quickly. So I would urge everybody where in Indiana, whatever state you're listening to this podcast in, please register and please vote. It's a it's a something that you know we're entitled to, and it's a right, and you should do it. But in Indiana, because of the fact you know you've got the early voting starting out, and people want to go ahead and do early voting to get it out of the way in the COVID you know uh, atmosphere, which is absolutely understandable. But the only way you're going to get administrative time to do early voting is if you can't do absentee ballot and you're going to not be able to, uh, you're going to be, basically it's going to be away from your post of duty during that time. If you were in Washington, D.C., you're Atlanta, Georgia, or something of that day nature on election day, you'd be able to get administrative time to do early voting. Because of COVID-19, Nobody is really traveling, so I don't know of anybody right now that that's going to apply to. So it's very specific to be able to get administrative time for early voting. And this year, I don't believe it's going to impact very many people at all. So bottom line is uh, no administrative time other than Election Day. And in Indiana, you may be qualified for it Election Day if you have an 8 o'clock a.m. start to your tour of duty. Otherwise, talk to Duncan. You may or may not qualify. Fair enough? Exactly. Okay. SPSC is a large part of the revenue agent uh, population in the state of Indiana. Of course, we have LB&I agents, too. But 
Amongst those who work in SBSE, Small Business Self-Employed Division, um, I can remember when that division started, people were all upset that they worked in a small post of duty and had a manager in somewhere else in Indiana. Well, that began to morph into something entirely different. Your manager could be in another state or another part of the country. Things have really changed in terms of managers, their, the, uh, the span of control, and just where your manager is located. So we've seen that SBSE is starting to see some dwindling numbers, uh, in, in especially in certain groups, and it looks like SBSE is going to have to address this soon. What does that mean to people uh, in our bargaining unit. Yeah, I mean, the folks uh, in both exam and collection in SBSE take a look around and go, you know, there used to be a whole lot more people around me than there are now. We're just not getting the backfill numbers that we need because they're going to other areas of the country um, that are as a dire need as we are and have more higher risk cases is what they use to determine where they're actually putting the numbers. So we get a few, but not near as much as we need. And as that comes along, you're starting to see groups of fours and fives in both uh, exam and collection. It's starting to really, really shrink. And that can't continue. They're going to have to be some reorganizations. And they do what they call rocks to send them up to, for uh, you know, upper-level management to see, okay, do we need to collapse the territory? Do we need to collapse groups? How is this going to work? Where are we going to go? And at this point, I, I think the numbers are outpacing their plans right now with so many people retiring, leaving for other positions, things of that nature, that they are going to have to play catch-up. And it's, it's going to be, I think, soon – the norm for, you know, to have a very spread out group, your group may be uh, including a large number of people outside of your state. That's already started, but it could greatly increase. And then you also are going to be looking at more and more remote managers as some of our management folks are very seasoned and could retire as well. And then when they start redoing those groups, it could be somebody from another part of the country. LBNI has done this a lot um, since almost since their stand-up. So they've had the remote managers for quite a long time, but I think this is going to be quite a change that's going to be coming to SBSE in greater numbers, having more and more remote management. And I suspect that the, um, the uh, odds of being able to backfill these vacant positions are not very high. I, I wish they would be. Um, I know that uh, management officials put in for um, backfill for folks in Indiana, the territory, and the areas put in for these backfill positions. They know that they need more agents and more ROs they, and more um, TCOs. They actually absolutely know that. But when it goes to 11-11 and they start making decisions – you know, it's like, okay, where do we have the greatest need? And unfortunately, in Indiana and a lot of the Midwest, um, there just is not that, they don't see it as a greatest need as they do on the coasts. Yeah, example. and 1111 uh, is a uh, reference to 1111 Constitution Avenue in Washington where the commissioner's office is located. So. And, other exactly. big, and other big executives. Duncan, one last thing before we go. 
Uh, we've talked about this before, but it seems to be take have taken on an, an interesting turn. That's your ability to use and maintain your printers. Explain what's going on. Yeah, right now what we're looking at is <clears throat> they've they just came out, and you know we get these announcements, and a lot of people, you know, look at them briefly. Okay, this isn't shouldn't impact me that much, but. Uh, the vendor support for the uh, the Canon CMFDs, the multifunctional devices, is going to be ending on September 30th. So they're not going to have the support on the maintenance on those. They're going to be replacing those with Xerox on January of 2021. So... You start there and look at that going, huh, end of September, start of January. What happens if my printer, my multifunctional printer goes on the fritz, I don't know, in let's say October, November, December? How's that going to work? What's going to happen with that? I guess it was the management's uh, judgment that none of them will break down. <laughs> yeah, because all of our equipment works so well and never has that issue. <laughs> So, um, so what do you think? Have you been given any indication by those in charge how that's going to be handled? Who do you call uh, if you've got a problem with your printer? Right now, you're going to contact and put in an OS guest service ticket, get services ticket, and is IT going to be handling printer maintenance because somebody in procurement couldn't figure out that there's a difference between a fiscal year and a calendar year when they awarded contracts? I don't know. You and I both know that they'll probably have to end up doing an extension of a service contract, or otherwise they're going to have a lot of paper that's not going to be able to be printed and sent out for three months because of this. After all, we don't do any printing at all at IRS, do we? Exactly. We're totally paperless, so... You know, this should not be an issue at all. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, uh, some things change and some things just remain the same, Duncan. We've got that little black hole of not knowing what's going to happen. Eventually, we'll get notified as to what the answer is. But here it is, October 1st, and nobody knows the answer, which is is so sadly par for the course. And what's also par for the course, Duncan, is that we never have enough time to talk about everything. We want to respect everybody else's time and not go too long on this. So we've got our 30 minutes. Any quick hit before we uh, wrap this up? Nope. I just want to hit again. Register to vote. Wear a mask. Take care of each other out there and be good to each other. That's Duncan Giles, president of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. We thank you very much for listening, and be kind and be safe.